President, starring Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Edward Arnold. <laughs> Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are the little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. In just a moment, Edward Arnold and our story of Mr. President. Right now, I'd like to ask how many of our country's past presidents can you identify? For example, do you know how many presidents have held office? Are you familiar with the major events that took place during the terms of James Monroe or Theodore Roosevelt? Well, each week, Mr. President brings to life tense and gripping moments in the life of one of our former chief executives, moments that most history books do not record. And you, as the listener, enjoy the thrill of trying to identify the president as another page of history is unfolded in these absorbing and stimulating dramatizations we present each week. Mr. President gives you the opportunity to test your knowledge of the men who have lived in the White House. At the close of the program, the name of the president about whom the episode is based will be announced. But first, try to guess who he is as his dramatic story is being told. Now, Edward Arnold as Mr. President. Let's visit him in the White House. It is Sunday, and the old mansion is resting quietly after a busy week. We walk through the great doors under the presidential seal, across the foyer and down the long hall to the president's study. Come in. Sit down, won't you? Did you ever want an apple badly and then not get it until after you'd had a big dinner and couldn't eat it? It's an early lesson in life that you've got to get what you want when you need it most, or it's no help to you. That's what I was up against in this story. And later on, of course, I'll tell you which president these events really happened to. But meanwhile, you may be able to guess. One of the most ticklish and dangerous jobs a president has is reorganizing his cabinet. He has to get rid of the men he doesn't want. One morning after a cabinet meeting, I came back to my study in a fine anger. Mr. President, I can tell Mr. Spencer wasn't there. I'm not putting up with it any longer, Miss Sarah. Have Senator Harper come to see me this afternoon. Fred, I've made up my mind to go ahead. About Spencer, Mr. President? I need harmony in the cabinet, Fred. There's the Southwestern Treaty to be put through. I've got a domestic program to carry out. The platform we were elected on. And I can't do anything without a unified cabinet. Is Spencer your only trouble? The War Department is the nub of the Southwestern Treaty situation. When I took over from my predecessor, the entire cabinet was his. Now every man has changed but one. But we still have the change to make. And this is the time to get rid of Spencer. And he must go. Well... I he, don't he's know, an I... able man. I, he's able enough, and I have nothing against him personally. In fact, I like him. But he doesn't fit into the cabinet anymore. Well, that's a hard reason to give in a political situation like this. I but... don't have to give that reason. He seems to have lost interest in being Secretary of War. 
It'll take only a very little push to get rid of him. But Spencer's immensely popular in the Senate. I know that. And he's one of the few men from a northern state that you have in the cabinet now. I know that, too. If but you reject other... him from the cabinet, you'll lose his supporters in the Senate. And you need them, sir. The confirmation of any other man for Spencer's place would depend on how you get rid of Spencer. Fred, will you give me credit to, for enough sense to handle Spencer properly? All I have to do is to get him to resign in the right way. I tell you, he'll jump at the chance to leave Washington. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. President. I'm afraid you've misunderstood me completely. Have I, Spencer? I'm very satisfied with my post. I'd be sorry to leave it. Oh, I see. If I failed you, of course, that's different. But unless you can make me believe that, <laughs> I'm afraid you'd have to force me out of the cabin. Oh, no, no, no. I don't want to do that. You see, I simply got the impression you were, well, not happy where you were. You've missed a number of cabinet meetings. Uh... That brings up a subject I'm anxious to talk to you about, sir. My son, Philip. Oh, yes, yes. He's in the Navy, isn't it? Uh, some time ago, sir, while aboard an American naval vessel in a Brazilian port, he got drunk and grossly insulted a British junior officer. Hmm. He's been dismissed from the squadron and returned home. I've been having some very serious talks with the boy, sir. In fact, that explains my absences from the cabinet meetings and my general preoccupation. If you'll help me in this matter, sir, I can promise you a much better job in the cabinet. Well, how can I help you? I want to have Philip assigned to the naval training ship Summers. Why, that particular ship? Well, she's commanded by Alexander Slidell McKenzie. Oh, yes, yes. A fine disciplinarian, a man of very high personal integrity. I think he can do Philip a great deal of good. Hmm, the assignment ought to be easy to arrange, Spencer. Uh, Commander McKenzie refuses to accept Philip aboard the summons. Oh? Oh, just a moment. Uh, Miss Sarah? Yes, Mr. President? Uh, Miss Sarah, how long is it since I've inspected any naval vessels? Uh, four months, two weeks, and three days, unless my memory fails me. <laughs> it never does. It's high time I visited the Navy Yard, isn't it? I'll have the Secretary of the Navy arrange it, Mr. President. Then make sure the training ship Summers is in the yard, will you? I'm particularly interested in going aboard her. <laughs> Mr. President, I'm Commander McKenzie, Captain of the USS Summers. Welcome aboard. Thank you. Mm, a very ship-shaped vessel, Captain. Thank you, Mr. President. Will you step into my quarters before you go ashore again? Thank you. Uh, right here, sir. After you, sir. Oh. Ah, you're very snug here, Captain. Well, she's a trim little ship, sir. I'm proud of her. When do you sail again? In two days, sir, for African waters. Mm -hmm. Have you a full complement? We're even overcrowded, sir. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, did you have something in mind, Mr. President? Uh, I understand you refuse to accept young Philip Spencer aboard here. I'm allowed some latitude in picking the men I'm to train as officers. Oh, I'm not questioning that, Captain McKenzie. I was only going to ask why. May I be perfectly frank, sir? Please do. I'm familiar with young Spencer's record. I've seen many better men than he broken for less serious offenses. With all due respect, if his father weren't a high government official... Captain, I... I deplore persuasion as much as you do. In this case, I've been wondering if young Spencer hasn't suffered from it instead of benefiting. Uh, I'm afraid I don't follow you, sir. At the age of 20, Captain, that many of us are, well, balanced. I've seen the record of Spencer's escapade, and I 
don't want that kind of young man aboard. Captain, what if I were to say that you're the only man who might be able to save young Spencer? If I'm flatly ordered to take him aboard, of course I shall, Mr. President. Oh, I don't want to order you. I want to persuade you. His father's a very fine man. It would be a tragedy if his son turned out badly. Only for a lack of a little understanding. Think it over, Captain. And let me know, will you? Spencer will be anxious. Oh, hello, Spencer. I'm sorry to keep you waiting. Don't mention it, sir. Hello, Senator Harper. Mr. Spencer. Sit down, gentlemen. Uh, Mr. President, may I ask... I don't know yet, Spencer. I saw Mackenzie yesterday, and I left it up to him. I'm very grateful, sir. If he refuses, I don't know what I'd do. I've got to tell you, frankly, Spencer, I'm not optimistic. Mackenzie is a man who takes his job very seriously. I didn't want to order him to take your son, and also, quite frankly, I think we'd better assume that he'll refuse. My wife will... Mr. President, Senator, I... I apologize for intruding my personal affairs, but Philip is our son. Uh, Spencer, in the event that Mackenzie refuses, would you prefer a less exacting job than the War Department? I don't understand, sir. Well, the Treasury Department, for instance. I thought you were satisfied with me in the War Department, Mr. Oh, President. yes, I am, I am. But if your son is a worry to you in thinking of the cabinet meetings you've had to miss, I... I understand, Mr. President, if... Commander McKenzie refuses. I may have to resign from public life entirely. Mr. Spencer. Yes, Senator Harper. I'd like to ask you a personal favor. Well, of course. If you do resign, would you come before my committee of the Senate and explain? Fred, that would be very humiliating for Spencer. I'm thinking of something else, sir. I see. If Mr. Spencer resigns, some members of the Senate may think it was not of his own will. Mm -hmm. That would be very damaging to the president, Mr. Spencer. I'm sure you understand. Yes, of course, Senator. I understand. I'll be happy to do it. You see, Mr. President, I... Mr. President, this just arrived for you from Commander McKenzie. It's marked urgent, Oh, sir. thank you, Miss Sam. Well, listen to this, Spencer. Dear Mr. President, the Bible says the son shall be punished for the sins of the father. However, in this instance, I take the liberty of, the, of not agreeing with the Holy Writ. And as you pointed out, sir, it would indeed be a shame if a good man were lost for lack of a little understanding. In short, sir, if Philip Spencer will again apply for assignment to my ship, I shall approve his orders. Signed, Alexander Slidell Mackenzie, Commander of the United States Navy. Mr. President, you've done Mrs. Spencer and myself a service we'll never forget. Uh, will you excuse me if I go and tell her? Why, now? of course, Spencer, of course. Uh, goodbye, Senator. Uh, Mr. Spencer. Miss Sarah. Goodbye, sir. Uh... And, Mr. President, we don't have to talk anymore now about the cabinet, do we? No, Spencer, not anymore. <laughs> Good day, sir. Good day. Well, friend. Well, looks as if your plans have to be postponed. Yes, at least until we see how young Spencer makes out with Mackenzie. President. Yes? Mr. President, it's, it's awful. Well, what is it, Miss Sarah? He was only aboard Commander McKenzie's ship for eight weeks, sir. Philip Spencer, for heaven's sake, Miss Sarah, what's happened? He's been executed, sir, for mutiny by Commander McKenzie. He and two others. There's no explanation, only this report from the Navy Department that came last night. It's murder, Mr. President, cold-blooded murder to kill a young boy. What harm could there... Oh, come in, Spencer. 
I'll be at my desk, Mr. President. Thank you. I just heard the news this moment. When... When Philip was born, sir, my wife nearly died. When she heard this news, she, she said to me, I wish to God I had died. Spencer, I don't... I wish, too, that she died then 20 years ago. It would have been better than watching her die all night last night. Still know she was living. What could I say to her? That he wasn't a good son? That he'd be better off dead? A poor thing, but mine own, Your Honor. I, I read that somewhere. or heard it in the theater. Mr. President, I've got to take my wife out of Washington at of once. Of course, uh, Spencer. I'll I be going too, sir. I never want to see Washington again. It can only remind me. Uh, I'll give you my formal resignation later today, sir. Resignation? Spencer, I feel a great responsibility in what's happened. If I hadn't persuaded Mackenzie to take your son, he'd be alive now. You can't blame yourself, sir. I can't help it that I can't let you leave Washington until it's settled. Everything is... Settled, isn't it, Mr. President? He can't be brought back to life. As soon as Mackenzie's ship reaches port, I'm ordering a naval little court of inquiry. We've got to know exactly what happened and how it happened. Until we do, Spencer, I, I want you to stay right here, and I, I don't want to hear any talk about resignation. As you say, Mr. President, will, will you excuse me now? Of course, of course. Oh, I, I beg your pardon, Mr. Spencer. Senator... Mr. President, the news of what's happened is all over Washington. People are horrified. Naturally. You know, it's strange how things come about, Mr. President. It appears that Spencer will soon be out of the cabinet after all. What? A number of men in the Senate feel very strongly about the situation, and they don't feel Spencer should be asked to stay in his post. They want to make it easy for him to resign, and so a couple of them are calling on him today. Why? Well, to say that they'll understand perfectly if he wants to leave. God knows none of us would have wanted it this way, sir. But the cold political truth is... That Fred, you've got to stop those men from seeing Spencer. What? Yes. I can't let him leave Washington before we find out if Mackenzie was justified or not. I owe that to Spencer, to Mackenzie, and to myself. But this is your chance to solve your entire cabinet problem. That'll sir. have to wait, Fred, until after the inquiry. I can't use Spencer's grief as a stepping stone. <laughs> In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Have you ever paused for a minute in the rush of everyday living to ask yourself what it means to be an American? Well, it means every man is free to vote for the man he wants to be president or any other candidate for top government office. It means individual liberty, such as no other nation has ever known. Yes, the freedoms we enjoy are as natural to us as the air we breathe. And just as we rarely notice that air until it's cut off, so we tend to lose awareness of our freedoms and how essential they are. Yet what has happened in Europe during recent years proves that our liberties can be destroyed. That's why every one of us should be aware of our individual rights and take active participation in the affairs of our nation. We should fulfill the duties of American citizenship. Remember, freedom is our American heritage. Now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President.
wonder if you've guessed yet which president this story really happened to. Well, keep trying, and later on I'll tell you who it was. As soon as uh, Commander McKenzie returned to port, a naval court held an inquiry into what seemed to be the official murder of three men of his crew, including Philip Spencer. Commander McKenzie, of course, occupied the stand most of the time. Commander McKenzie, this morning you told us you learned that young Spencer was attempting to undermine discipline aboard your ship. Please go on from that point. One day I was told by one of my officers that Spencer had approached him the night before with a complete plan for seizing the ship. Go on, Commander. We questioned Spencer and obtained possession of a paper he had prepared, entirely in Greek, in which he was proficient. When the paper was translated, we found it to be a detailed plan of the conspiracy. We knew then that the Summers was in real danger, as well as the lives of all the men for whom I had sole responsibility. Commander, in your opinion, what was behind this conspiracy? Young Spencer deeply resented discipline, sir, and had persuaded himself and others that I was unnecessarily harsh. He was a clever, glib-tongued boy... And he made the others believe that they could murder the loyal members of their crew, safely seize a ship of the United States Navy, and escape with her to safety. And learning that, I had no choice but to seize Spencer and question him. He immediately confessed to the entire mutinous conspiracy. Continue, Commander. I took the final decision only after long searching of my heart for what was right. My doubts vanished when... When young Spencer himself readily admitted that he deserved execution. I ordered his execution, and it was carried out. This naval court of inquiry finds that Commander McKenzie is not guilty. Miss Sarah? Miss Sarah? Huh, that's funny. Miss Sarah? Oh, there you are. Good morning, Mr. President. I'm sorry to be late, sir. Oh, that's all right. I, I was just getting worried. <clears throat> uh, you didn't sleep very much, did you? Just when the verdict was announced yesterday afternoon, sir, I... I looked at Mr. Spencer on the other side of the courtroom. I haven't been able to get his expression out of my mind. Mr. President, the execution of that boy was legalized murder. I heard every session of the trial. <clears throat> How could Commander McKenzie have been cleared in the face of such evidence? Miss Sarah, <clears throat> would you rather not stay here in the White House today? I can manage without you. No, thank you. Horrible, Mr. I know it, Miss Sarah. I know it is. I couldn't sleep very much last night either. I was reading the trial record. Now I I need some fresh air. I'm going to take a walk around the grounds. I'll be back soon. All right. Good morning. Good morning, Spencer. Were you uh, coming to see me, Mr. President? 
You aren't going to let that murderer go free. What? The trial. There's got to be another. You can't let that verdict stand. Mackenzie can't escape with praise. What do you want me to do, Spencer? Use your high office for justice, sir. How? Make Mackenzie stand trial again. Make him tell the truth. Make him pay. You want vengeance, Spencer? I want him struck down. Yes, I want vengeance. On a man who did only his duty as he saw it? As he saw it. Is that to be the protection of every brute who hides his murdering instincts behind a uniform? His duty as he saw it. What about his duty as others see it? To decency and human understanding. Spencer, I understand your grief and your wife's, but you have no right to expect me to condemn an innocent man. You've lost all sense of proportion. Spencer, would you like to take leave of absence from Washington for a short while? Oh, no. Maybe you can silence your conscience, but you won't get rid of me so easily. I meant no such thing. I'm not going to leave Washington because I understand perfectly where you want me to go. Good morning, sir. Spencer. Spencer! Senator Johns, may I? Yes, come in, Spencer, come in. I just came into my office, Spencer. I was writing you a note of sympathy. I... Senator, you speak for a large group of influential men in the upper chamber. Is it true that my staying in the cabinet is embarrassing to the president? The president and I are not very close, Spencer, but we hear that's the case. And is it true that if he forced me out, it would turn half the Senate against him? That's a good political guess. What's in your mind, Spencer? When you say, yes, the Senate would turn against him... What do you mean exactly? We might smash that Southwestern Treaty he's hoping to put through. We might block every other cabinet appointment he might make. Spencer, what the deuce are you getting at? The president is using the death of my son to drive me out of the cabinet. What? He's protecting Mackenzie. He's using my feelings against me. He struck me from behind. Well, I'm going to strike him back. You'll find out how before today is over. <laughs> Mr. President, you've wanted me out of the cabinet for a long time. Now I'm going. What? Here's my resignation. Let me add that by now the entire Senate knows why I'm resigning. And the newspapers. Because of this distorted story you've told? You can't ride roughshod over human beings, Mr. President. There's a price attached to it and you're going to pay it. You can say goodbye to your Southwestern Treaty. You can say goodbye to getting any new men in your cabinet except men the Senate wants you to have because they won't confirm any others. Spencer, you're all wrong. There's my resignation, sir. Accept it and get me out of the cabinet. Now, as you see here, you're attacking me as if Captain Mackenzie were wrong. He wasn't. You forget he found a complete written plan for the mutiny and that Philip confessed to it. Those are hard facts. Do you or do you not want me out of your cabinet? Yes, I did. But from the moment your son died, that stopped being important. I don't want to ride roughshod over anybody. And I'm not doing that with you. Why bother to deny it? Because you're too fine a man to let yourself behave like this. You've suffered a terrible shock of grief... But you've got to accept it. You said yourself nothing can bring Philip back, but you want me to do an unjust thing to ruin a man's career. What kind of monument is that for your son? And you know yourself you'd, you'd regret this action of yours. You'd come to know that you can't soothe your grief with meanness and revenge. That's why I refuse to let you resign. Look, Spencer. I refuse to accept your resignation. Mr. 
Mr. President, you should have let him resign. Why did you refuse his resignation? For the reasons I told him. I can't let him go on thinking as he does. But he won't stay. He'll resign anyway. Oh, maybe. Uh, yes. Mr. President, that yes, is... just came from Mr. Spencer. Oh, hmm. he lost very little time, sir. Uh-huh. Dear Mr. President, I cannot apologize for my grief, but I can apologize for making you its victim. If I... If I resign now, I realize it would only confirm what I told Senator Johns and make your future relations with the Senate impossible. Therefore, it seems to me that I owe it to you to remain in Washington and to do my job as you have done yours. If it will make your cabinet problem easier for you to transfer me to the Treasury, please do so. I remain John Spencer. Mr. President, I'm so glad. Well, friend... Well, sir, personally, I, I'm delighted. But politically, it's as true now as it was before. Spencer in the cabinet still means dissension. I, well, I, I'm trying to put sentimentality aside, yes, sir. Yes, so am I, Fred, so am I. So we'll have to have a long talk. Yeah. I beg your pardon, sir. Yes, what is it, Miss Sarah? What is it? Of course, I'm only a woman and I'm supposed to be sentimental. But what's so terrible about that? You've just done a very fine thing. You saved a man from doing something he regret the rest of his life, and, and you may still get the treaty through, and... Well, why are you so ashamed of it? Miss Sarah, you're right. But instead of uh, crying about it, <laughs> don't you think we could smile? Well... Well... <laughs> yes, Mr. President. I think so. <laughs> I think so. Well, that's better, Miss Sarah. <laughs> Look, Fred, she's... She's actually crying. You've probably figured out by now who I was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and I'll tell you the answer in just a moment. Powerful, moving, nothing like it before. Those are just a few of the things people have said about ABC's Sunday program, The Greatest Story Ever Told. Every 30-minute dramatization draws its material from the oldest and greatest story, the story of one person who lived 2,000 years ago. During his lifetime... He was confined to a radius of 80 miles and reached only those within the sound of his voice. But his teachings and understanding knowledge left a lasting impression. The unforgettable story of this man is heard every Sunday on The Greatest Story Ever Told over most of these same ABC stations. Don't miss today's dramatization. Now here is Edward Arnold. The time of our story was 1843, and John Tyler lived in the White House then as Mr. President. You'll recall he had been elected vice president and became president when William Henry Harrison died after only a month in office. Throughout his term, President Tyler fought for a treaty for the annexation of Texas to the United States. And this was done during his term 
by joint resolution of Congress. The mutiny on the USS Summers actually happened, and the son of Secretary of War, John Spencer, was executed in a case that made naval history. Come and see me again next week, won't you? I'll have another story for you about Mr. President that I'm sure you'll enjoy. Goodbye. Arnold appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of High Wall, starring Robert Taylor, Audrey Totter, and Herbert Marshall. <laughs> Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. It is produced and directed by Dwight Hauser. Miss Sarah was played by Betty Lou Gerson. This story by Paul Milton was suggested by incidents in the administration of President John Tyler. Music was composed and conducted by Basil Adlam. Be sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company brings you another story of Mr. President, starring Edward Arnold. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Mr. President, starring Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Edward Arnold. Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. This afternoon's Mr. President story will begin in just a moment. But meantime, how extensive is your knowledge of our country's past presidents? For example, can you name the president who once sold all the White House furniture? Or the president who had a habit of bathing in the canal back of the White House? There are so many colorful anecdotes about our former chief executives that it's not surprising we find the lives of American presidents so fascinating. Perhaps it's because most of us can identify ourselves with their way of life, their private ambitions, their relationships with their wives, children, and friends are so much like our own that we often feel their stories are our stories, too. Each week, Mr. President reveals our famous leaders as they really were, human beings whose desires and ambitions were much the same as yours and mine. Now listen to this story and see if you can name the president whom it is about. Now, in just a moment, Edward Arnold.
Edward Arnold as Mr. President. Let's visit him in the White House. It is Sunday and the old mansion is resting quietly after a busy week. We walk through the great doors under the presidential seal, across the foyer and down the long hall to the president's study. Hello. Sit down, won't you? You know, most of this week I've been thinking of a way to describe my story. It's quite a combination, politics, internal affairs, and even a touch of American progress south and west. And then I remembered an old American saying. It's that Missouri proverb, there's more ways than one to skin a mule. That just about sums up this story. Later on, I'll tell you who the president was, of course, but meanwhile, you may be able to guess. It was a spring morning of a year that promised plenty of trouble before the snow came. I was in my office working on a message I knew Congress wouldn't like. It was a veto message. And then Miss Sarah bustled in. You know how women get when they're riffed about something. Well, that was Miss Sarah all over. Some more papers, Mr. President. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Sarah. You're welcome, I'm sure. Is there something on your mind, Miss Sarah? Frankly, Mr. President, I wish you'd let me send away about half your callers. That is, if you're not going to see them, sir. I, I never saw an office so cluttered up as mine, and the way you keep them waiting... Well, I take it that our Mr. Roberts of the Philadelphia Customs House is out there again. Hmm? Yes, sir. Yes, I can imagine demanding entrance, fuming that I've kept him waiting long enough, announcing that he won't cold his heels much longer, even in the President's waiting room. <laughs> yes, I know. Yes, sir, exactly. <laughs> well, they're all pretty much alike, aren't they, Miss Sarah? Fawning and smiling when you're the President-elect. Exactly the opposite once they feel secure in their positions. Mm -hmm. All right, Miss Sarah, send them in. Thank you, sir. Mr. Roberts, the President will see you now. Thank you, ma'am. Good morning, Mr. President. Good morning, Mr. Roberts. Well, sir? I was given to understand, sir, that in any conversation, the President chooses the subject. Even when we both know why you're here? Apparently, you know, Mr. President, and have entirely prejudged the question. As is indicated by the length of time you've kept me waiting to see you. I realize, Roberts, that in Philadelphia, the collector of customs is an important person. In the White House, you are one of a number of similar office holders, and other matters may take priority. Such as the situation in the South, sir, if I may say so. You may not say so. I don't make it a practice of discussing matters of national policy with customs officers. It might be to your advantage, sir, to discuss a number of things with me. I've acquired some influence now in Now, state matters. your business properly, please. Very well. I am here, as you very well know, to ask you to withdraw your order for the removal of a large number of the employees in my customs house. These people are guilty of nothing save certain political activities. On government property and government time. Also, they happen to be incompetence you swept in from the streets of Philadelphia to give you more influence. Now, my order stands. This blanket firing is going to look very bad in the papers. Are you threatening me, Mr. Roberts? If you care to take it that way. Well, now, Roberts, I think you've done it. I'm afraid I don't quite follow, Mr. President. I've been very patient with you. I happen to dislike your tone, and I resent your threats. You have permitted a little power to go to your head. And I think your usefulness to the government of the United States is at an end. Are you saying that I'm to To put resign? it in terms that are perhaps more familiar to you, Roberts, you're through, you're finished. Now you've done it, Dad. Now you've really done it. Have I, son? Dad, you may be president, but your political acumen is certainly not of the best. 
Look at this newspaper. Mm, it's a lot of newspaper. Where shall I look? Now, here, the editorial. Now, listen. In the summary removal of Jonathan Roberts from office, the president has overstepped himself. Patronage is an accepted matter in our federal government, but when it reaches into the customs A house... Philadelphia paper? Yes, sir. I thought so. Which party? Our own, sir. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I don't understand <laughs> it, Dad. What do they want? My scalp's on my job. Our old friend Senator Carter and the uh, gentleman from Kentucky <laughs> is particularly interested. <laughs> well, well, you'll defend yourself, of course, Dad. Defend? Oh, I don't think so. You see, in politics as in war, the best defense is an attack, and at the proper time. Then you have made plans. No, not quite. The first move is Senator Carter's. These newspaper attacks are merely opening skirmishes. I understand that Senator Carter is about to withdraw from the Senate to campaign publicly for the nomination that rightfully is mine. In my own party. Once he does that, well, we shall see, son. We shall see. My friends, in announcing my retirement from the Senate, and without meaning at this time to say whether on any or on whom reproaches for the sad condition of the country should fall, I appeal to the Senate and to the world to bear testimony to the truth that no blame can justly attach to me. And now, Mr. President of the Senate and Senators, I bid you all a long, a lasting, and a friendly farewell. Colossal nerve of the man, without meaning at this time to say whether on any or on whom reproaches More should coffee, fall. More coffee, son? No, thanks. Look here, Dad, how long are coffee, you... Coffee, Miss Arnold? No, no, thank you, sir. John, I think you should look in on your mother. She's feeling badly again. Yes, Dad. But I still think the time has come... What to... kind of a presidential household is this anyway tonight? My wife is ill, my son badgering me into action, my secretary silent as a grave... <clears throat> Well, almost that silent. Mr. President, I... it upsets me to see you the target of so many unjust attacks. Thank you for the unjust, Miss Sonner. I see by the papers, John, that I am now guilty of nepotism. What? Your job in the land office. Blair of the Globe was very vehement about it. But, but every president before you was appointed a son or, or a nephew or some relative to that job. I know, undoubtedly. I shall hear more of this. From Senator Carter, no doubt. No doubt. Mr. President, aren't you going to reply? A public speech, a statement to the papers? The president cannot, or at least should not, engage in acrimonious debate with a senator or a private citizen, no matter how prominent. But it's not fair, sir. You're attacked. But you can't answer. Unfortunate, but true. Aren't you going to do anything, sir? You're not fooling us, Dad. We know what all this is doing to you inside. I intend to have myself nominated for the president. But Senator Carter... On a third-party ticket. What? Dad. You'll be committing political suicide. Will I? Well, look at the situation, son. Senator Carter is sure of the nomination in the party of which I happen to be a member. Mark Vandervet uh, controls our opposition. I can't hope to be nominated there. I'm political dead as of this moment. And dead men don't commit suicide. But, but Mr. President, no third-party candidate has ever been elected. I know that, Miss Sarah. Well, then why, sir? Why are you planning this? Yes, sir. Why? Well, uh, let me say it as simply as possible. First, there is little choice between Carter and Vandeventer. Agreed? Yes, sir. Therefore, if my name is on the ballot, the people would at least 
have some choice in candidates and policies. Your policies are so right, sir. I hate to see them turned inside out. I believe they are right, Miss Sarah. Above all, I think I'm sure my ideas on the situation in the South are the only solution to that problem. The growth of this country is inevitable and must be encouraged in every way possible. And the only way I can think of to make sure my policies are acted upon is a third party. But if you won't be elected in any case, Mr. President, how can you make sure your policies are continued? That, Miss Sarah and John, is where politics as they are played in the United States enters the picture. And by way of political experiment, I'm going to see just how far a third party will go in this country. Randolph and Mr. Mayhew, sir. Well, gentlemen, it is good to see you. You're looking well, Mr. President. Never better, sir. Well, physically, I feel fine. Emotionally, well, you two know me well enough to understand. Mr. President, when we get through in Baltimore, you'll feel perfect. <laughs> <laughs> We've had promises of hundreds of delegates, sir, from all over the country. They'll represent thousands who couldn't come. Well, I want to be sure of one thing, Randolph, that every state and every county is represented at the Baltimore Convention. It's the only way to make people believe we mean business with this new party. Uh, we won't convene until every section of the nation is there. Yes, come in. Mr. President, there's an unscheduled visitor. Senator Carter is outside. Carter? Oh, a farewell call, no doubt. I think so, sir. Well, I'll see him right away. Mayo Randolph, keep in touch with me from Baltimore, and good luck. And bless you both for a pair of loyal friends. Thank you, sir. We're with you all the way, Mr. President. Thank you. And use the other door, please. We don't want my caller to confirm the suspicions which uh, brought him here. Huh? Thank, you very much. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Well, now, Miss Sarah, shall we permit our senatorial Daniel to beard the lion in his den? If you say so, Mr. President. Senator Carter, will you come in, please? Thank you, ma'am. Mr. President. Senator. Shall we come directly to the point, Mr. President? Why not, Senator? Very well. I have called to see you for the sole purpose of protesting the confusion you've caused and are causing on the political scene. This third-party convention in Baltimore, the people, sir, no longer know what to believe or think. Isn't that exactly the condition you want the people to be in, Senator? Mr. President, if you persist, we'll see to it that you're finished politically when your term in office is over. I am all too aware, Senator, that the party of which we are both currently members has no intention of nominating me for an election. But that, Senator, is of little consequence in comparison to the Southern matter and its importance to the safety and welfare of this nation. <sighs> this may seem strange talk to you, Senator, but I happen to be a man who loves his country and is loyal to his friends. It is quite clear to me that in this case, country transcends politics and political power as well as self-interest even to the extent of losing the presidency. In all my years in politics, I've never heard such nonsense, except on the Speaker's platform. Frankly, Mr. President, you're a new type of man to me. Senator, any time hereafter that you are puzzled by my actions, think back to this statement. It is the guiding philosophy of my life. Country before politics. The nation and the people before personal glory. And, Senator, this may cost me the presidency, but may I point out to you, sir that you have not been elected as yet. I believe it is unwise to plan the occupation of a new residence before you have signed the lease, even occupation of the White House, Senator.
In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Have you invested in the security loan drive now underway throughout the country? Security bond sales are of vital importance in the Treasury's management of the public debt, the nation's current battle against price inflation, and for the future welfare of the man in the street, the worker with good income, and the farmer whose profits are now at unprecedented levels. That is why it is so important for each and every one of us to buy as many security bonds as we can afford during this security loan drive. Security bonds are savings bonds, the same bond that pays $4 for every three invested at the end of the bond's maturity. The money you invest in bonds today will bring you retirement incomes, new homes and funds for vacations, and leisure time tomorrow. Remember, too, America's security is your security. So save U.S. security bonds the easy, automatic way where you work or where you bank. Now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Perhaps you've already guessed who the president was in this story, but strange as it may seem in the light of present-day happenings, several presidents have been faced with a third-party problem. Later on, I'll tell you which one this was. My friends gathered at Baltimore. Frankly, I was sorry I had to miss the incident, but the tactics that I outlined to Randolph and Mayhew were carried through to their logical conclusion when Randolph rose before a cheering crowd at convention hall and he said... convention come to order so the next speaker can be recognized. My friends, my good friends, may I have your attention for just a few moments. I have been given the privilege of a great honor. I will not bore you with details. You know the issues. You know that the future of our nation is at stake in our deliberations here in this convention hall. Therefore, I accept the honor, and I take the privilege, in the name of this new and vital political party, of placing in nomination the name of the man we all honor and respect, the name of the man who is our friend, the name of the man who is now and must remain for the next four years, the President of the United States. Yes, come in. Mr. President, you you have a visitor, sir. No. The chairman of the National Committee of the Opposition Party. No. Well, well, well. <laughs> By the way, Miss Sarah, which opposition? We have two opposing parties, you know. Indeed, I do know. Two parties and a hundred newspapers all against you. Which opposition, Miss Sarah? It's R.J. Walker, sir. Mark Vandevender's party, huh? Well, now, now, now. I think we'll see him. Yes, sir. I don't know. This sort of thing never happened before. <laughs> Mr. Walker, you may come in now. Thank you, ma'am. Good morning, Mr. President. Good morning. Welcome to the White House, Walker. It's been a long time. It has that, sir. I don't believe we've spoken since you withdrew from our party to become a candidate for vice president. And look at me now. Can you say honestly that your party would have made me chief executive? <laughs> Well, after the beating we took when you were elected, honestly, no. <laughs> well, Walker, may I be blunt, sir? My cards are on the table. Where are yours? 
Sir, it's Senator Carter you're electing with this third party of yours. Am I, Walker? Mr. President, what are the chances of you withdrawing from the race? Oh, so it's come to that, has it? Frankly, yes. Is there anything that might change your thinking, sir? There are certain conditions which might affect my thinking, Walker. Such as? First and foremost, no nomination for Mark Vandeventer. Well, Mr. President, he's the most prominent member of our party. Would you like to think this out, Walker? Well, I... I, uh... Well, can you give me any word to take back to the party, sir? Oh, you know better than that. It's your move completely. You make this very difficult, Mr. President. Well, you can't win without me, Walker, and you know it. You play a hard game, sir. When I believe the future of our country is at stake, I always play a hard game, and I play to win. much longer are you going to keep this up? Keep what up, son? This third-party idea. Everybody's going crazy. It might be a good idea. They're putting pressure on you, are they, son? Everybody seems to think because I'm your son, I know what you really intend to do. And of course you don't. Honest, Dad, sometimes I think the closer people are to you, the less they know about what's going on in your mind. Miss Sarah, have you seen this letter? It's from the ex-president asking Blair of the Globe to stop attacking father. Listen... Hail the president and his supporters. Welcome to the support of the great democratic cause to aid in the defeat of Carter and his party. Where did you get that? Delivered by messenger with a note, show this to your father. For heaven's sake, what next, I wonder? Now, see here, Mayhew, you and your confounded third party are disrupting everything the president has ever stood for. Are we, Walker? You're electing Carter, and you know what that means. I happen to believe that the president can be re-elected on our ticket. There have been popular revolutions by ballot before, you know. Nonsense. Both you and the president know it. Well, what do you want me to do? Persuade him to withdraw. We've called off the press. We've intimated that Van Deventer's nomination is blocked. What oh. more does he want? Frankly, I don't know. But I'll ask the president the next time I get in to see him. What more can I do, Mr. Randolph? Uh, have patience, Mr. Walker. What is he, a sphinx? <laughs> some people think that Fox is the better word. You must have some idea of his intentions. Well, the president intends to run on our third-party ticket. But he can't do that. He'll ruin everything. He'll elect Carter. Patience, Mr. Walker. What would you like me to do? Get me in to see him. I've tried Mayhew, and he makes jokes. I've talked to his son. He shrugs his shoulders and looks mysterious. Uh, how about Miss Sarah? Oh, that woman. The president is very busy, Mr. Walker. I've got to see him, Randolph. Do something about it, will you? <laughs> Walker's been in to see me again, Donald. <laughs> Three times in two days, me too. How did you tell him? That the president's intentions are as much a mystery to us as they are to him. He doesn't believe that, but it happens to be true. Well, I think we'll know tomorrow. At last? At last. Miss Sarah sent word the president wants to see us, and right after us, friend Walker has an appointment. Good. <laughs> oh, but I'd hate to be in Walker's shoes tomorrow. <laughs> I couldn't get to see you before this. So am I, sir. I've well, given quite, a, quite some thought to your suggestions, Walker. Thank you, sir. My son showed me the ex-president's letter to Blair. I'm assuming John received it through you? He may have. And thank you for calling off the newspapers. Fair is fair, Mr. President. In politics, too? Well, yes, sir. well, how about the guarantees I asked for? You have them, sir. Mark Vendeventer will not be nominated, and your friends will be welcomed back into our party. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's very good. I wonder now... 
Are you prepared to go a step or two, Father? Well, uh, how much, Father? Well, you know how strongly I feel about that southern situation. The United States must not be confined to its present boundaries. Now, if you were to permit me to write that particular plank in our platform, and then perhaps to select the man who will implement that plank... Mr. President, when you said you play the game the hard way, you made a clear understatement. If politics in a democracy, Walker. Well, it's your turn to make a decision. I haven't very much choice, have I? Well, frankly, I hate to be in your spot right now. <laughs> yes, I agree with you. All right, you shall have your plank. And your candidate is... James Powers. You know how completely Jimmy agrees with my position on most matters? Agreed. And you will announce your withdrawal? Frankly, I'll, I'll have to talk that over with my friends first. Uh, they've been to considerable expenditures of time and money, you see. Yes, of course, I can see that. And uh, now if I could take them further assurances, say that their positions in the government are secure, and if Jimmy is elected, they will receive equal treatment with your present party members, hmm? Well, if I can take those promises to my friends, I think my final decision might be swayed. Yes, I just think it might. <laughs> Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good, good morning, good morning. I see my friends, my son and Miss Sarah, my most ardent supporters and my two severest critics. Mr. President, will you mind that? Easy now, not all of you at once, if you please. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, I do want you to listen. I've written this letter, which I propose with your approval to release to the newspapers at once. And since our Mr. Walker has seen fit to agree to all my terms, here it is. To my friends throughout the Union... When the hand of the Lord touched my illustrious predecessor and I found myself suddenly the chief executive of a great nation, I tried to approach my responsibilities with humility and all the earnestness and sense of duty of which I was capable. Historians will record the facts. Let them decide between myself and my enemies. As for my friends, let it be recorded here and now that I deeply and honestly appreciate their high motives and their great self-sacrifice in nominating me. I know that their only expectation in creating a third party was the vindication of my character and the support of my administration. However, my objectives for the nation now seem secure. With that accomplished, I feel my only course is to withdraw as a candidate for the high office which I now hold and to offer my support to the candidacy of my good friend, James Powers. <laughs> President. Dad, Dad, it's all wrapped up. I take it you have news of the election. Have we news on the election? <laughs> uh, tell him, Miss Sarah, tell him. The latest results have just come returns, in. Returns, Miss Sarah, returns. Elections never have results, only returns. The results come after the winners have been at work for a while. <laughs> yes, sir. The returns are in, sir. From Pennsylvania. No. Well, well. Pennsylvania has gone for Mr. Power, sir, and Senator Carter has conceded the election. Congratulations, Dad. Oh, yes, and there's a message from Mr. Walker. He says Mr. Powers would have lost the state, but for your support. Mm-hmm. So now it's over. And you've won, Dad. The Southern matter will be handled your way. Your friends are protected. This must be a source of great satisfaction to you, Mr. President. More than you both realize, perhaps. And now, John, I think it's time to go upstairs and visit with your mother, hmm? She'll want to know the good news, too. Miss Sarah, will you take over, please? Yes, sir. Right with you, Dad. You know, Miss Sarah, there's one thing about this president business. It's all right to keep the president's callers waiting, but never the president's wife. <laughs> 
Well, you've probably figured out by now who I was when all that happened. It did really happen, you know, and I'll tell you the answer in just a moment. What does this word mean to you? Adventure. Does it make you think of excitement, of daring, of the unsuspected? If so, then here's the radio show for you. I Love Adventure. Every Sunday over most of these ABC stations, I Love Adventure brings you 30 fast-moving minutes. The action gets underway when Detective Jack Packard gets an assignment from the 21 old men of 10 Gramercy Place, London. These 21 men come from different countries, but they have one purpose in common, to help keep the world a decent place to live in. And to accomplish this, they hire Packard and two of his friends to go out on different missions every week. Missions that entangle them with adventure. So don't miss today's I Love Adventure program when it's heard over most ABC stations. Now here again is Edward Arnold. Well, I wonder now. Have you guessed the who the president was in today's story? With his third party and his political intrigues? Let me tell you. The president was John Tyler, who became chief executive when Benjamin Harrison died in office one month after his inauguration in 1841. Mark Vandeventer and James Powers were Martin Van Buren and James Pope. And Senator Carter was that great orator from Kentucky, Henry Clay. That southern matter was the annexation of the state of Texas, later achieved by James Pope, John Tyler's protege. So you see, President Tyler did demonstrate that there is more than one way to skin a mule. Come and see me again next week, won't you? I'll have another story for you about Mr. President that I'm sure you'll enjoy. Goodbye. by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of Homecoming, starring Clark Gable and Lana Turner. Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. It is produced and directed by Dwight Hauser. Miss Sarah was played by Betty Lou Gerson. This story by Ira Marion was suggested by incidents in the administration of... President John Tyler. Music was composed and conducted by Basil Adlum. Be sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Mr. President, starring Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Edward Arnold. Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor, 
These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. Today's Mr. President drama will begin in just a moment. The old saying, history repeats itself, was never more true than it is today in this presidential year of 1948. So many things happening making headlines today have their counterparts in previous American history. For instance, what presidential campaign before the Civil War saw a third party swing the election? What president forced a certain state to abandon its laws of segregation of races before World War I? What president fought valiantly for worldwide cooperation among all nations, only to be defeated by a small group of determined senators? These are but three of the fascinating human interest stories that are the stories based on history of our Mr. President show. They're always presented in a manner calculated to build faith in American traditions. Now, listen to this Mr. President story and see if you can name the president whom it's about. Now, in just a moment, Edward Arnold. Edward Arnold as Mr. President. Let's visit him in the White House. It is Sunday, and the old mansion is resting quietly after a busy week. We walk through the great doors under the presidential seal, across the foyer and down the long hall to the president's study. Oh, hello. Come in. Sit down, won't you? You know, there are many people who believe that one must experience great sorrow before one can have great happiness. And some of the experiences I had are very strong evidence that a great deal of truth lies back in this belief. Later on, of course, I'll tell you which president this happened to. But meanwhile, you may be able to guess. I must confess that during my third winter in the White House, I had troubles aplenty. The newspapers had nicknamed me the veto president, and they weren't far from wrong. On the personal side, there was great sorrow. It was almost two years before I resumed a normal social life. Part of that was a reception at the White House one day. The guests filled the East Room and the Blue Room to overflowing, and I received them in the Green Room between the other two. Mr. President, it's wonderful to see you in good spirits. Oh, thank you, Senator. Glad you and Mrs. Benton were able to come. (laughs) You know how women are at the height of the social season. But this is one time, Mr. President, when you couldn't have kept me away. Not with a team of horses. No, sir. Uh, You flatter my hospitality, Senator. I do not, sir. If I may be permitted to contradict the chief executive. (laughs) You're not the first member of the Senate to do that, sir. (laughs) (laughs) I dare say not. Over here now, I'm forgetting myself. May I present some friends of mine from New York who have recently taken up residence here in Washington? Of course, Senator. And, sir, Mrs. David Gardner. How do you do? Miss Julia Gardner. How do you do, Mr. President? How do you do? And the husband and father of these charming ladies, David Gardner. It's nice to see you, Mr. Gardner. Oh, I, I seem to remember... Uh, You have been in the service of our home state. Yes, sir. Are you enjoying Washington? I am, I know. And Mrs. Gardner? Oh, most exciting city, Mr. President. Although I'm not sure whether it's the place or the people which make it so. Well, there have been times when I felt it would be a wonderful place 
without people. <laughs> Your directness is refreshing, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And you, Miss Gardner? I'm afraid the elder generation has stolen all my thunder. Oh, I'm not so sure of that. New Yorkers inevitably have comparisons to make. <laughs> Haven't we, though? <laughs> In that case, Mr. President, uh, Junior. I might say that Washington has all the atmosphere of a capital, while New York has all the atmosphere of a big city. I agree with you. And let me say that the next time I need a diplomat in our State Department, I shall undoubtedly send for you. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, Julia, dear, we're holding up the reception line. I'm sure we've taken up too much of the President's time as it is. Oh, not at all, Mrs. Gardner. Oh, we mustn't keep you from the rest of your guests, sir. <laughs> if you insist, Mrs. Gardner, I trust we shall see more of you while you're in Washington. We will be honored, Mr. President. Likewise, sir. And please make yourselves at home, and when the music starts... I shall be honored if Miss Gardner will allow me to be a partner in a waltz or two. Thank you. Senator Benton. Have a good time at the reception last night, Miss Sarah? Oh, yes, sir. And if I may, wasn't it good to see the president enjoying himself so much? Miss Sarah, I was completely taken back. I haven't seen him behave like that in a long time. He didn't seem to have a worry in the world. Yes, I know. Acted as if his mind were on something miles away. Uh, maybe it's not for me to say, Senator, but... Uh, well, speak I... up, Miss Sarah. You have an idea? Well, sir, I was thinking... What? The First Lady passed away almost two years well, stop ago. Stop making riddles. There's no riddles, Senator. This house has been lonely for him since then. He's tried to immerse himself entirely in work. What's all this to do with last night's reception? Oh, I think it may be quite simple. A lonely man, the rather sudden entrance of a lovely young woman who appears quite as intelligent as she is lovely. Uh, to a woman's eye, Senator, it's very simple. Almost as simple as one plus one makes two. <laughs> To be frank, Mr. President, I cannot see why you went quite so far as to break with the party which elected you. No, well, that's a long story, Mr. Garden. I'm afraid I'd bore you if I went into that now. The political conversation is always heard in the drawing rooms in Washington, isn't it? And it belongs in the offices, madam. No exceptions, Mr. President? <laughs> oh, possibly to the dinner table after the ladies have withdrawn. And I'm given to understand that in some cases, husbands have been influenced by their wives. Yes. Some cases? <laughs> Julia. Uh, see here, I thought all this began with our guests not wanting to talk politics at a family dinner like this. Oh, on the contrary, Father. It began when you started the subject. Oh, oh she has you there, Gardner. <laughs> no, I admit defeat. Uh, frankly, let me offer the President a word of advice. Never argue with a woman. Gardner, you're absolutely right. <laughs> well, I, I'm really sorry. It's almost time for me to be on my way. Oh, so soon. Well, I've stolen this very pleasant evening, Mrs. Gardner. Stolen it from my desk. But uh, I would like to say that an evening with such a family as the Gardner family has been a tonic to me. You're most welcome any time. May I see our guest to the door, personally? Uh, well, I would be honored. Uh, and once again, uh, good evening. Good evening, sir. We trust you'll come again soon. Thank you, I will. Uh, is it uh, this way? Yes, that's right. Miss mm -hmm. uh, Gardner, I, uh, well, I, <laughs> I feel almost tongue-tied, strangely enough. Why, Mr. President? Well, there are so many things I'd like to say. 
Most of them, I'm afraid, are rather juvenile. And the president must never act like a little boy? No, 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 of course not. And there's no grown-up way of saying these things? None that I know of. Well, then perhaps they might better be left unsaid. But I need words, Miss Gardner, not the words of the White House or Capitol Hill. Are they difficult to find? Very difficult for me. Well, then why not wait until they come easily? That may be too late. I'm really <laughs> circling my subject, you know. I... And Miss Sarah will be very angry, won't she? I'm afraid she will be, yes. But, you know, I don't believe I care right now. And I'm sure you should care. We can't have the affairs of the nation upset because the president lacks sleep, now can we? Uh, no, no, we can't. Uh, another time, Miss Gardner, perhaps? Perhaps. Then thank you again for a delightful evening. And good night. Mr. President, Captain Stockton of the USS Princeton. Well, Captain, it's a pleasure to renew your acquaintance. Thank you, sir. What can I do for you, sir? Well, I'm calling, sir, with an invitation. My ship has just completed a shakedown cruise, and my officers and men would be honored to welcome you aboard, sir. You know, I haven't seen your ship since you left the blueprint stage, Captain. I understand she's quite a vessel. The most powerful warship in the Navy, sir. Great advance in naval design. I've heard the main battery outranges anything afloat. Aye, sir. In fact, the men have named our heaviest weapon the Peacemaker. <laughs> On the grounds that no one would dare attack you? <laughs> Just about, sir. Well, uh, this is what I want to see, Captain. Then you will come aboard, sir. I thought perhaps a brief cruise, if you have the time, we might drop down, down the Potomac a ways and come back the same day. Well, uh, that's an excellent idea. May I bring a few friends with me? Well, that's your pleasure, well, Mr. If, President. If it won't inconvenience you, we might invite the Secretary of the Navy and Senator Benton, a few others, and their ladies. We shall do our best to make this little trip a fine outing. Uh, weather permitting, of Ooh, course. Oh, certainly. Then, say, a party of about 20. Perfect, Mr. President. Good enough. And my thanks in advance, Captain. And if we are at the landing, say, at uh, 10 next Saturday morning. We shall be ready for you, sir. Fine. Thank you. Thank you again, Captain. Not at all, sir. Good day. Good day. Well, Miss Sarah, let's make the list. And you send off the invitations by messenger at once, please. Yes, sir. Secretary Upshaw, Senator Benton. Uh, we better ask Tom Gilmer and Hugh Laguerre. Huh? Let's see now. Joe Randolph and Carter Jackson, of course, mm-hmm. and their ladies. We'll have to include an admiral or two. Well, I'll check with Upshaw and command uh, Commodore Kennan. Well, that ought to do it. Yes, sir. Of course, sir. And their ladies. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, yeah, I, I believe I owe a gesture of hospitality to the uh, gardeners. Yes, sir. I believe you do. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, do you think, Miss Sarah, that the gardener, I mean the, the gardener family, would be interested in the country's latest and most powerful ship of war? Well, I'm certain the uh, family would, sir. Uh-huh. Well, then, uh, get to it, Miss Sarah. Get to it and send the invitations at once, if you please, and ask for a response by return messenger. Yes, sir. And, Miss Sarah, from now until Saturday evening, we're all in the Navy, so let's drop the yes, sir, shall we? Drop the yes, sir? Yes, Miss Sarah. Let's practice naval manners. Let's, uh, let me hear you say, aye, aye, sir. Very well, Mr. President. Aye, 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 sir. Aye, aye, My compliments to your steward, Captain. Excellent luncheon and perfectly served. Thank you, sir. I never understand, Captain, how you men accomplish meals like this one in a limited space aboard a warship. Well, that's part of our trade, Mrs. Gardner. 
And uh, speaking of such things, we had rather hoped the firing of our peacemaker gun would be the climax of this excursion. Oh, I want to see that, Captain. I believe the men are merely awaiting com- commands, if you will excuse me. Of course. Uh, would anyone care to watch the loading? Oh, yes, very oh, much. Uh, care to join us, my dear? Why, yes, if the president will pardon me. My guests always have complete freedom, Miss Gardner. Thank you. Shall we go, Captain? Of course, if you'll all come with me. Uh, I shall advise you when we're ready, Mr. President. Very good, Captain. You see, Mrs. Gardner... Uh, would you have some more of this excellent coffee, Miss Gardner? Thank you, Mr. President. Ah, there we are. Are you enjoying our little outing? Oh, of course. I'm so glad we could come. Mm -hmm. Glad to have you aboard, as the captain would say. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Shall we go topside, too? Uh, I'd like to watch the handling of those guns myself. Uh, First, Mr. President, if I may... Of course. Then let me propose a little toast. To the men of the Navy and their officers. To the men of the Navy and their officers. Oh, the gun frightened me. Oh, something's happened. You stay here, Miss Gardner, while I go. No, no, May I please go with you? If you wish, come on, come on. Send her below at once. This is no place for a woman. Yes, sir. Come, my dear. No, my mother. But she seems all right. She's there with Captain Stockton. Please come away, Miss Gunner. I'm sure we shall be Captain Holmes. Captain in heaven's name, what happened? An accident, sir. The peacemaker exploded as the charge was being rammed home. There's adequate medical help for the wounded? Aye, sir. For those who need it. There are dead? I'm afraid so, Mr. President. Almost the entire gun crew. And... And... And our guests. The ladies are all right, though badly shocked. Among the gentlemen, Secretary Upshur, Mr. Gilmer, Mr. Maxey, and Mr. Gardner have all been killed outright, Mr. President. In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Right now, I'd like to tell you the story of a war bride. Her name is Helen. She just recently arrived from Europe. Helen's quite impressed with our country, with our shops and buildings, our great cities and wonderful highways. But mostly, Helen is impressed with our way of life, with the freedom everyone enjoys. However, one thing surprises Helen. She wonders why so many people take their liberty for granted. In her country, the people know that liberty is a fragile thing, that it can disappear almost overnight. This is one reason why Helen will make a good American citizen, for she plans to work at freedom. That's something each of us should do, work at freedom, by participating in the affairs of our community, as well as our state and our nation. Remember, protect our own future security and set an example for the rest of the world. Remember, our American heritage. Now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Perhaps you've already guessed which president all this happened to. Later on, of course, I'll tell you which one it was. The terrible tragedy aboard the Princeton left its mark upon the lives of all of us. We paid every honor possible to the dead, to the Navy men and civilians alike. But nothing could erase the results of that explosion. Months went by. I felt particularly responsible toward the gardeners, and our mutual sorrow seemed to remove uh, our relationship from the purely social level to something much more personal. And quite deep, 
Julia Gardner gave every indication of feeling this as well as I did, and the loss of her father seemed to have been the impetus that changed her from a very beautiful girl into an even more lovely young woman. I called at the Gardner home several times during the months of mourning, and after they were over, formally at least, she said to me... Mr. President, I... I want to tell you something, and I don't know quite how to begin. Well, why not begin at the beginning? I can't place the beginning. That's one trouble. I... Well, I want to tell you that I don't know how Mother and I would have borne up these past months, if not for your kindness. That's terribly formal, I know. Words are difficult sometimes. Yes. Yes, I know. But believe me, my dear, anything I can do will be done both for your mother and for you. Thank you. Oh, uh, Julia, uh, do you remember an evening almost a year ago when I came here to dinner? After the reception at which we met? Yes, I do. Uh, do you remember, my dear, how we stood at the door and I, uh, <laughs> well, I rather spoke in circles that night? Perfectly. I'm afraid I was rather a coquette that evening. Oh, no, no. You were a young lady who behaved quite properly with, a, with an older man who was in the process of behaving like a moonstruck youth. As I see it now, I think you were quite charming about oh, it. Oh, thank you, my dear. Uh, Julia, I've changed since that evening. Then both of us have. I, uh, I can say now that you are very dear to me, that I cannot behave or speak like a man half my age, and perhaps that isn't quite fair to a young lady who should have her share of moonlight and poetry. Oh, my dear. But what I feel for you is very deep in my heart. I'm flattered. Not because you happen to be the president, but simply because you're you. Thank you, Julia. I wish my father were here. I think he'd be just a little proud. Then the difference in our agent doesn't... Uh, ages, and there's always been a perfect understanding between mother and me about my future. We've been closer together than ever since my father left us. And you want me to speak to your mother first? Oh, if you would, my dear. I think that'll be all the official business for today, Miss Sarah. Yes, Mr. President, I'll just clear my desk before I go. No, don't go, Miss Sarah. Yes, sir? I, uh, I, I've drafted a letter, and I wonder if you'd mind going over it with me. Of course not, sir. It's rather personal, but a, a, it's a woman's point of view. If I can help, Mr. President. Well, then, let me see. Uh, I have it here. Uh, there. I've crossed it out and rewritten it so often, I'd better read it to you. My dear Mrs. Gardner, it is more difficult to write to you than I had thought. In the light of the tragic event of this past February, the matter I have in mind may seem a trifle abrupt. Yet sorrow, shared in common, draws people very closely together. That fact alone removes some of my hesitation in addressing this to you. I feel that Julia has given me some small reason to hope that she is willing to share my life with me. The very thought of it makes me feel both honored and humble. I might say, may I pay my addresses to your daughter? That would be much too stilted. I might say that I love her dearly, yet the difference in our ages makes such words Mother, seem... you may as well know. I suggested to him that he ask your permission to marry me. Julia, in just so many words? No, of course not, Mother, but that's what all this amounts to. Oh, I had hoped, Julia, there would be someone, well, younger. Oh, he's young in spirit, Mother, very young. And he's the president. Mother, you know me better than that. I'm sorry, my dear. 
But that's what people will say, you know. I don't care what people will say. He's, he's charming and he's delightful. Sometimes he's so shy, he's like a, uh, like a boy who's never met a girl before. I'm happy when we're together, even if it's only a White House reception and there are a hundred people in the same room. The fact that it's the same room is enough. Do you understand, Mother, do you? Yes, my darling. It was like that for your father and me a good many years ago. Then you'll let me marry him? Mm, we'll see. First, I think an engagement will be enough. And since he's written to me, I'll have to answer him in the same manner. I'll go in now and write the answer immediately. And so, my dear Mr. President, I am inclined to permit the engagement of my daughter and yourself. In view of the circumstances, I wish no announcement made, of course, but you may call upon my daughter and proceed after the manner of betrothed couples. Perhaps one evening in the near future, you and I can sit down together and discuss the prospect. You're a sensible man, I know. Therefore, I'm sure you will realize the feeling back of a mother's wish to be certain that the future of her daughter is assured, economically speaking. <laughs> you now hold the highest office in the nation. When your term is concluded, you will of necessity begin to draw on your personal resources. And I wish to be certain that those resources are sufficiently strong to provide for my Julia in the style to which she has been accustomed. <laughs> Until we see you then, I remain most sincerely yours, Alice Gardner. <laughs> Julia, Julia, what am I going to do with you? What have I done now, Mother? Keep on the way you're going and you'll have all Washington talking about you. Well, I think that would be very nice. Julia! More important, the way you're taking up his time. I'm sure the affairs of state are going to rack and ruin. Oh, Mother, of course they're not. The time he spends with me never interferes with his work. I wouldn't permit it. I'm glad to hear you say that. But I still think you might make less of a display in public. Display in public? Holding hands at the theater. Hugging his arm the way you did when you took him into dinner last night. Oh, Julia, it's almost... Well, shameful isn't the word, of course. Mother, but... there's only one answer to this. And that is? Set a date for our wedding. Oh, isn't it rather soon after... Oh, we want just a quiet wedding, Mother. Oh, we might slip away to New York one day. You and I and Margaret. He could come up the evening before with Miss Sarah and... and the young man who is going to be my stepson. <laughs> Mother, imagine me with a stepson. <laughs> I can't, quite. Oh, Mother, please. You are in love, aren't you? Of course I am. You haven't quite believed that, have you? Well, you must admit, Julia, that it isn't easy. After all, he must be as old as I am. Oh, that again. Forget that, will you, Mother, please? You're absolutely certain this is what you want. Cross my heart. Very well, dear. But a quiet wedding, just as you've planned. <laughs> and don't think I don't realize that a good part of that little plan was made by the President of the United States. How are you bearing up, my dear? I never shook so many hands in my life, but I'm loving it. <laughs> and I know you're glad it's just about over. Mm, what do you think? Well, this is your second evening as mistress of the White House, and you receive all of Washington society. I'm sure you're glad, and so am I. 
Oh, uh, Senator, are you leaving us so oh, soon? Mr. President, I hate to tear myself away, but as one of the first to arrive, it's only fitting and proper that I be among the last to leave. First shall be last, you know. <laughs> well, from what my husband has told me, Senator Benton, you will always be among the first with us. Well, thank you, ma'am. That sentiment is reciprocated, of course. Thank you, Senator. And I'll see you in the office tomorrow, Senator. Here now, Mr. President, no business tonight of all nights. Well, my wife understands, Benton. I'm sure she does. <laughs> Thank you again, Senator. Let me say in parting, sir, you are a very lucky man. You have won the most charming lady in Washington to crown and close your presidential career. It's my turn to say thank you. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart, You're Senator. more than welcome, sir. And good night. Good, good night. night. Come Senator. over soon. Well, my dear. Oh, I'm so happy I could dance. Alone here in the East Room? It's a trifle large, don't you think? Who's alone? You're with me. And forever, my dear. Of course. Julian, you know you were very wonderful tonight. I could see some of our guests just waiting for you to make a slip. I'm happy that you're pleased. Please, darling, that's hardly the word for it. <laughs> I tried to take Mother's advice, you know. Oh, so... <laughs> What advice? Well, I had a letter from her just this morning. Uh -huh. uh, she sent her best to you, of oh, course. Oh, that's very sweet of her. But she said, uh, Julia, I hope you will be as quiet as possible, consistent with the president's situation. <laughs> Avoid public display, be conciliating and agreeable, and not too smart. No. <laughs> that's a wise woman, your mother, my dear. And I'm sure you know that her daughter has inherited her wisdom. <laughs> well, you've probably figured out by now who I was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and I'll tell you the answer in just a moment. Throughout the tumult of 2,000 years, a story has lived. A story of a man whose influence was widespread, whose life affected many people then and now. Many people called him the master. His friends worshipped him. His enemies feared him. From a humble beginning to a world-shaking end, the greatest life ever lived has come down through the centuries as the greatest story ever told. Such has been the effect of the greatest story ever told that during its first year on the air it won many awards and was enthusiastically received by clergymen of all denominations. You're invited to listen every Sunday afternoon for a drama filled with compassion and significance. Listen when the greatest story ever told is heard over most of these stations. Now here again, Edward Arnold. The events we've told you about today took place during the last year of the administration of President John Tyler. The first Mrs. Tyler passed away in 1842. The tragic explosion aboard the warship Princeton occurred February 1844, and on June 26th of that year, President Tyler and Julia Gardner were quietly married in New York City. The bride was just 24 years old, while the president was some 30 years her elder. Nevertheless, they lived very happily together until Tyler's death in 1862. Their three sons grew up to serve their country well. One was a college president, one was a judge, and the youngest a brilliant lawyer. This succession of events, I'm sure, may be offered to prove a great truth. The sharing of sorrow may sometimes lead to great happiness. Come and see me again next week, won't you? I'll have another story for you that I'm sure you'll enjoy. Goodbye. Goodbye.
Edward Arnold appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of the Technicolor picture The Three Musketeers, starring Lana Turner, Gene Kelly, and June Allison. Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. It was produced and directed by Leonard Reed. This story by Ira Marion was suggested by incidents in the life of President John Tyler. Music was composed by Basil Adlam. sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.